0: Welcome to What Christians Should Know, hosted by Dr. Elijah Sadoffel. This podcast equips you with clarity and meaningful answers about God, the Bible, and your Christian life. Now, here's Dr. Sadoffel. Good morning, everyone. We are continuing our series, Marching Through the Book of Romans. And today, we're going to be taking a look at Romans chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. So everyone, please turn there there with me in your Bibles. We will first pray and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the Holy Spirit through our mediator, Jesus Christ. We make one simple request today, O Lord, that you illuminate our minds, you open our ears of understanding, and that you preach and teach your truth to us. Today, we'll be studying your words out of your book and know that the barrier between a man understanding your truth is the stubbornness and the darkness within his own heart. Illuminate us, we ask you, Holy Spirit, so we will not only hear your truth, but your truth will therein abide and be a part of us. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. So Romans chapter 1 verses 13 to 15, the Apostle Paul writes, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome." In these verses, chapter 1, verses 13 to 15, what the apostle Paul is now going to do is he's going to finish his introduction to the epistle, to the letter to the Romans, and he's going to finish his personal greeting. So in verse number 13, the apostle Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware. This phrase, I do not want you to be unaware, is what I'm going to call a Paulism. It's something that he frequently writes and it involves two negatives. He says, I do, I do not want you to be unaware. And in this Paulism, what the apostle is doing is he's drawing his reader's attention to something important. And he says something very similar in Romans 11.25, 1 Corinthians 12.1 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 and what is Paul drawing our attention to? He says, I do not want you to be unaware brethren that Often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far Paul was drawing our attention to the fact that he had planned To visit the church at Rome, but in some way shape or form he was prevented telling us that Paul's desire that Paul's yearning, that the effort was not lacking but the opportunity was. This reality now points back to what Paul says in verse number 10 when he speaks about the will of God. Now, let's make sure we have the clear historical context. The Apostle Paul physically had not yet been to Rome in order to minister to the people who dwelled there. And what Paul says is that he was prevented. And this word in Greek means either to forbid or to hinder. Now the text never says, Paul never explains to us how he was prevented. He never explained to us what was happening within or without that let him know that God was preventing him from going. All we know is that the Apostle Paul had a yearning, he had a desire, and that desire was for something good, to go and preach and teach the Gospel, but in some way, shape, or form, God prevented him. Now this transitions us into a very important point, that oftentimes in our Christian life, God can and will prevent us from doing things. And the question now is, why does God prevent or why does God hinder the efforts of His people? Now it's clearly obvious that God will, as our loving Father, frustrate or hindering us from doing evil because in the end when we sin or do evil, the one, the one who ends up getting hurt is ourselves. But Paul wanted to do something virtuous. He wanted to do something in God's will to preach and teach the Gospel, but he was prevented. So generally speaking now, Why does God prevent or hinder the efforts of His people? These are some general reasons. One reason is because because our purpose, although it may be virtuous, is not His purpose. Another reason is that we are ready, but other people aren't. Another reason is that we are ready, but it's not our time yet. Another reason is it's time but it's not our time. It's, uh, it's the time and a season for someone else, but it's not in the time a season for us individually. In other instances, we simply may not be ready. We simply may not be prepared enough. We simply may not have the character traits that God requires of us that God requires of us to faithfully execute our responsibilities in a particular role. And God may also prevent some of His children from doing something simply because it's a matter of faith, simply because His child does not believe Him. And as a result, what God will now do is He will hold back His own. But realize what Paul is saying here. Paul is not frustrated in his office. Paul is not frustrated in his Christian service when he openly admits that he is being prevented. For someone, who does not, for someone who does not trust God, for someone who lives via the spirit of the age, and for someone who simply does what they want to do, who does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, when they hit a, a roadblock Or when they are disrupted or interrupted in life, they get frustrated. They get mad. Why is that? Because now my plans, my desires, what I want to do have now been disrupted. And I now get upset because the thing that I wanted to do, reality now is saying no. Now you have anger, you have malice, you have bitterness. But what the God as what Paul is revealing to us here is that when you are now a child of God, you realize God never stops being sovereign. So now when we hit resistance, when we hit a wall, when we hit a roadblock, we realize that God is purposefully allowing something to happen for a reason. So now the way we respond is we don't become upset We don't become frustrated. We now simply see the wise divine intervention of our Heavenly Father who by His grace and His mercy has a specific design and intent for allowing a roadblock to happen. So when now we are hindered, we simply use that as another occasion. We simply use that as more fuel to praise God. But being hindered never means giving up. We certainly never give up on God. We certainly never give up in trusting in Jesus Christ in our Lord and Savior. Truly, we may give up in a particular direction. We may give up in a particular wish. We may give up in a particular desired outcome. But we never give up on God. We still, beloved, travel and walk on the king's highway, but by God hindering or preventing us from going in a particular direction, we simply may not be traveling in the same lane. Because, look at again, let's all go back to the historical context. The apostle Paul was prevented from going to visit the people in the church at Rome. So now what is Paul compelled to do? He's compelled to write the epistle to the Romans, the greatest letter ever written. And had God not prevented his servant from going, Paul would not plausibly have written this epistle. To sum it all up, hindrances, roadblocks or barriers may simply be God's way of redirecting us and what God will often do is he will shut some doors and open others. He may also shut all doors and prevent us from going anywhere so that we can simply wait and remain standing still. So Paul says in verse number 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles." So why was Paul planning to visit the church at Rome? So that, he says, I may obtain some fruit among you. Now it's clearly obvious when Paul talks about fruit, he does not mean apples and oranges. This word in Greek is karpos which does mean fruit, it also refers to action, result, profit or gain. So when the Apostle Paul talks about going so that he may obtain some fruit, what he's referring to are the spiritual results of people being established or people being firmly rooted in the Word of God so that he goes to Rome. He preaches and teaches the Word. The Word is the instrument that God uses to firmly plant and establish people. So now when their spiritual trees grow and they mature, what those spiritual trees will now produce is fruit. So the point of Paul's preaching and teaching was to establish saints so that they would now yield spiritual fruit not only in their character but also in their works. For scripture references, see Galatians five verses twenty-two to twenty-three, see Romans six twenty-two, as well as Romans six fifteen. At the end of the day, church, the word of God is the word of God, and therefore, when God speaks, that word is effectual, and as a result, people who earnestly hear that word and God plants that word into their hearts that individual will now bear fruit. Verse number 14 says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. When Paul says that he is under obligation, another way of translating those words is you could say, I am in debt to. Now using modern commercial language, when we say that we are in debt to someone, that means we now have a legal we have a legal obligation, or now we owe another person, or we owe an institution uh, something. We owe another entity, usually economic resources. So in the instance of a mortgage now, which many people have, what happens is that An outside institution loans you money and now you are in debt to the bank. You legally owe the bank something. You are now under obligation and make a promise to repay the bank something that you've now been given. So because you have now received something, you are now in debt to give that which you have received back to the person who gave it to you. So let's now put this all in context. Why is Paul under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians? Because Paul has been been given something. He's been given a commission by God himself. He has been called to be an apostle, one who is sent by Jesus Christ himself. And what Paul has received, what Paul has been given, is a knowledge of the gospel is a knowledge of the truth, is a knowledge of Jesus Christ as the Savior of humanity. Now, because Paul has received something, because he's been given something by God, he now is in debt, he is now under obligation, he now owes it, to every human being in the world to preach and teach the Gospel to them. And Paul knows he is under obligation because Paul knows as he's about to expand the Gospel in the subsequent next few chapters that every person in the world is under the curse of sin, is under the curse of eternal condemnation because God is, a ho- is holy and is a just judge. So Paul knows that everyone in the world is under judgment and is perishing. And as a result, the only one that can save them is Jesus Christ. As a result, because Paul now has been gifted with the knowledge of the gospel, which can now save all those individuals who are, pe- who are perishing, he is now under obligation to preach and teach the gospel to all who have fallen short of the glory of God. And all who have fallen short of the glory of God is every human being on planet Earth. Romans 3 verse 23. Now who is Paul under obligation to? He says both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. What is he talking about? Actually, before I answer who Paul is under obligation to, let me take a step back. When Paul uses the language under obligation, I don't want the church to think now that Paul in some way shape or form is now an unwilling slave who owes people something. And now he's being forced, now he has a spiritual gun to his head and is being coerced to preach and teach the Word. As Paul even says a couple verses before in verse number 9, he is serving Jesus Christ in the Spirit. So the thing that drives him. The thing that animates him is not in a technical legal sense that he's in debt to people and now he's doing all of these things to even the score. Rather, all of his service and all of his doing comes from a genuine spiritual animation, and because it comes from a genuine spiritual animation, his source. His fire, the thing that animates and drives him, is God himself. So that he doesn't become frustrated, he doesn't become weary, he doesn't do what he does simply as a means to settle the score, but rather he has been gifted with something freely so now he can freely give it away to other people. So the point is that. Those who are under obligation do so even when the times get tough and even when there are barriers such as being hindered. Now I'll go back to what I said before. Who is Paul under obligation to? And the text says he is under obligation to the Greeks and the barbarians, the wise and the foolish. What is Paul saying here? What Paul is saying here is basically he is under obligation to everyone. In the historical context in which the Epistles to the Romans was written, Greeks or Greek culture was considered to be the apex of being cultured. So if you spoke Koine Greek and you were immersed in the ways and customs of the Greeks of the day, you were considered to be cultured. If you did not speak Greek and were ignorant of the ways of the Greeks, you were labeled a barbarian. That, the word back then doesn't, ca- doesn't carry the same negative connotations as it does now. Back then, if you were a barbarian, that simply meant that you did not speak Greek. So in the world back then, you were either Greek or a barbarian. So when Paul says I'm under obligation to Greeks and barbarians, that essentially includes all human beings on the face of the planet. When Paul says that he's under obligation to the wise and the foolish, the Bible basically says you are either wise or you are either foolish. So when Paul says I'm under obligation to Greeks, barbarians, wise and foolish. He's basically now making distinctions based upon nationality and culture and saying everybody, everywhere, those are the individuals that I am under obligation to. And because now Paul was entrusted with particular talents, with particular knowledge, he now felt that compulsion to engage everything he's been gifted with into His master's service. So, as Jesus tells of the parable of the slaves who were each given talents in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30, the lesson he tells us there is that basically, to whom much is given, Much is expected. So if we consider where Paul came from, he used to be a Pharisee. He was essentially operating with a depraved mind calling right that which was wrong. What does God now do? God by His grace now turns Paul completely around and doesn't condemn him but rather now commissions him to be an an apostle to the Gentile world. Paul was given a lot he was not only given saving grace by Jesus Christ himself, he was also given a particular commission to build up and lay the foundation for the first century church. Paul therefore knew he was given much and now he has to discharge all of those resources into his master's service. So I say all that to say, if the Apostle Paul was not under obligation to Greeks, barbarians, to the wise and to the foolish, he would now be guilty of being a poor steward. He would now be guilty of receiving much, but now not discharging all those resources into his master service. At the end of the day, church, as, as Jesus says himself in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, to whom much is given, much is expected. Therefore, those who have much know they have because of God, and now put it to good use for God's glory. We should think about that simple fact whenever we desire anything. Whenever we desire something big, whenever we desire something great. Because from our human perspective, we tend to think, I want X, Y, Z. But we fail to realize that if God ever does X, Y, Z, He's now more so concerned with what we're gonna do with it He's now more so concerned with how are we going to be proper stewards of those resources in in order to honor and glorify Him, not to honor and glorify ourselves. The final point I'll make about this verse is this. Paul is under obligation to both Greeks and and barbarians and both to the wise and to the foolish. This tells us that Paul is under obligation to the whole breadth of humanity. People who are very smart, people who are not so smart. People who are cultured, people who are not cultured. People who have a lifestyle similar to Paul's and people who live in a manner and people who have a way of life that's completely alien to Paul. But since Paul now was under obligation to preach the gospel to all of them, what this now tells us is Paul's effectiveness as a teacher is now going to be intimately related to how well he can relate to everyone. Because if he's going to preach the gospel, he's not going to preach the gospel just to Greeks. He's not going to preach the gospel just to the foolish. He's preaching the gospel now because he's under obligation to Greeks, barbarians, the wise and the foolish, meaning his effectiveness as a teacher is going to be intimately related to how well he can communicate and how well he can reach the ears of his audience. Because at the end of the day, Church, you can hear a message, you can hear truth, but if you don't know what that truth means then that truth is not going to be effective. This This is another reason why we are expositing the book of Romans verse by verse. Yes, it is God's truth. Yes, it's God's infallible word. But if we as a people don't understand what God's word means and we can now bring it down to everyday language and apply it to our lives, then our eyes will not be opened and our capacity To delight in God's glorious light will be compromised. Final verse this morning is verse number 15 where Paul says, so for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Here's the simple point, church. The apostle Paul was eager to preach the gospel because he was ready. He was eager because He was ready and people who are ready are always prepared. People who are ready are always prepared and because they have not a brash arrogant confidence but because they have a humble confidence and preparedness because they've been prepared by God, now they have the Holy Spirit inspired insurance that they are now ready to go to work for their Heavenly Father. So in general now, when we talk about being eager to do something in service in God's kingdom, we now realize that we we are now going to be eager to work when we are ready. We will be eager to work when we are prepared. So how do we prepare, generally speaking, we prepare by always having dedicated, private Bible study time. We prepare by making sure God's Word prepares us. We prepare by never neglecting dedicated private time each and every morning in our prayer, prayer closets. We prepare by always interacting and engaging with people in a Christ-like, godly manner not knowing and realizing what God has intended for the relationships that we have in our life. Essentially beloved, we will be eager when we are ready and we will be ready when we are prepared when we always keep God's glory in mind and always live step by step and day by day cognizant that eternity matters more than the present and that tomorrow is not guaranteed. So if we're always preparing. Even if something catches us by surprise, if we always never neglect our relationship with God and immersing ourselves in the the word and fellowshipping with the saints and making sure that we are communicating to God through prayer, we will now have a general state of preparedness in our Christian life and therefore be ready to serve when God's timing comes to pass and he calls us into service. The final thing I'll say is that what was the Apostle Paul eager to do? To preach the Gospel. And Paul was eager to preach the Gospel because in the preaching of the Word, God puts forth his power to save. And as Paul will say in the next verse, verse 16, the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all those who have faith in Jesus Christ. So of course, to a man who knew, that the world was perishing and the One who could save them is Jesus Christ, of course he was eager to preach about the One who is Savior and Redeemer of all humankind. Precious Lord, we thank You for the time that You have allowed us to spend sitting under and hearing Your Word and ask You, O Lord, to implant now in our hearts a a sense of urgency, so we will always be prepared, so we will always be ready, so when your timing has come to pass, Precious Lord, we may individually present ourselves as well equipped and eager to serve and honor you all for the glory and all for the honor of our Heavenly Father. Amen.